to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Good morning, church. Happy Sunday to you wherever you're at, whether you're gathered with your house church or watching with your family or roommates or friends. We are so glad that we can be together on this Sunday. And uh, this is really uh, Baptism Sunday for us. We're going to be celebrating water baptism this afternoon at four o'clock. And I want to encourage all of you to join us, uh, bring a, a party dish. We're going to have a time of celebration after we have baptized people that have, uh, are taking that step of following Jesus publicly, uh, sharing their love, their commitment, their de devotion to Jesus uh, with others. And so we're going to gather together. But today, I want to share with you a teaching that will really help us to understand what is water baptism? Uh, is this just kind of a pool party for Jesus? Is this just church tradition? And I want you to understand it is so much more than that. And so today, I actually want to share a teaching that is from our church archives. And it's a teaching that I gave uh, in the early part of 2020, just before COVID. But it's a teaching that I believe uh, will be a great help to you. So I hope you'll grab a notebook, grab uh, a pen, grab your Bible, open up your heart. And I hope that God speaks to you, uh, whether you've been baptized, whether you've never been baptized, and maybe you're taking that step with us today. Uh, I think this will be helpful to you. So I hope you open your heart and I hope this word encourages you today. All right, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Acts. We've already referred to it, but why don't you turn to the book of Acts this morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good? Yeah. Kind of good? Okay, good, but keeping it to yourself. All right. All right, well, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 18, Acts chapter 18. Uh, we had an awesome camping trip, like Nate already mentioned, and uh, except my air mattress uh, deflated in the middle of the night, and uh, I, you know, it, I woke up at about 12:30, already on the ground. I thought this is going to be a long night, and um, so hopefully my ma my message won't be deflated this morning. But uh, anyway, Acts chapter 18. And uh, we're starting a new series today that we're calling Thrive, and, and I want to just look at Acts chapter 18, verse 24, and, and we're going to read down to uh, chapter 19, verse 7, and if you have it, you can just look along. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen here. We'll go ahead and put it up there. Acts chapter 18, verse 24, there we are, and it uh, says this, now a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's an important thing to note. He only knew the baptism of John. He was speaking truth, but he, was, he, he only knew the baptism of John. In verse 26, it says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I, I love that little point right there, because I believe that's the way that we should work as a, a family. 
Uh, they, they saw Apollos, he was doing a good work, but he, he was off in a few areas. But uh, did you notice they didn't blog about him? They didn't criticize him? Did you, you notice that? They, don't, they didn't go on Yelp and make a bad review on Apollos. They went to him. And so they, they went to him and they explained. They didn't say, you got to sit down. They said, We're gonna, let me help you out. I love that picture of how the church should work. In verse 27, it says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, where Apollos had just been, and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said, we've not even heard uh, so much as uh, whether there is a Holy Spirit or not. What's a Holy Spirit? I've not heard of it. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said to him, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized, or they were rebaptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied and verse 7 says now the men were about 12 in all let's pray together father we thank you lord that as we have gathered here today lord in our worship and now lord as we come to your word we thank you lord for your presence and god we ask now that you would come and anoint me to speak, God. I pray that you would anoint every person in this room, Father, not just to be a hearer, but to be a receiver of your word, God. We thank you, Lord, that it is uh, your spirit that breaks the yoke, that breaks the bondage. And so we ask you to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who believes it says together, amen. Amen. Well, we are starting a series, as I mentioned already today, uh, that we are calling Thrive thrive. And really kind of the big idea behind this series is that God wants every single one of us not just to live and not just to make it through life and not even just to, to make it through life spiritually or to live spiritually. He doesn't want us just to live. He wants us to thrive. Jesus said it this way, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. He doesn't want you to have just life barely getting by. How many of you know you can be alive but barely? Yeah. Uh, you can be alive but not thriving. And, and so in order to really thrive, we're looking at some essentials of faith, some, some life-giving essentials that every single one of us need to experience, we need to receive, we need to walk out if we are going to not just live, but if we're going to thrive. And here we find in this story that I've just read to you out of Acts 18 and 19, we find the story of some people that, that were alive. 
They, they had been alive through faith. They had come to faith in Jesus, but they had not received the fullness of what Jesus came to bring. They had put their faith in Jesus, but they had only received what the Bible calls the baptism of John. Paul showed up and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. In other words, they heard part of the gospel. They heard part of the message, but they did not hear the full message. There was some essential information that was missing. And, you know, the fact is that uh, you may hear the truth, but you may hear just part of the truth. And if you're going to live life and life to the full, life to the full requires the good news to the full. And so Paul comes to them and he says, did you hear about the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We heard about this guy, Jesus, who's going to come. We've been baptized into that. In other words, there was some missing essential information. There was some missing essential information. They heard half of the message, but they didn't hear the full message. You know, the, there, like I said already, it's possible to hear the truth, but only hear half of the truth. Some of you may be familiar with the story from history of the Battle of Waterloo that uh, about 200 years ago, uh, the British fought against Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. And Napoleon had been uh, just taking over across Europe and uh, Wellington was the commander of the British forces, had gone over and fought, um, had fought uh, Napoleon and the word came back after the battle was over. The word came back to, uh, to England of the outcome of the war. And of course, they didn't have phones or internet, so they just flickered a light across the English Channel. And the message was intended to be, Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. That was the message. The outcome of the war was that Wellington had won. But as they started to flicker the light to try to communicate in code across the English Channel, the outcome of the war, uh, suddenly a fog came in because it's England and it's foggy. And so a fog came in and it obscured the view. And so only half of the message was communicated. Instead of the British hearing, Wellington has defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, they only heard Wellington defeated. And so, although Wellington had won, they began to live out of the truth, but it was only half of the truth. They began to live as if Wellington was defeated, and Wellington defeated, but the rest said Napoleon at Waterloo. The word spread around England, it ended up, their economies tanked, they began to live defeated. Why? Because they had heard the truth, but there was a missing element. There was a missing element essential. And the same is true often for people spiritually that we have come to Christ. Perhaps we've heard the message that God loves us. Perhaps we've responded in faith to that. But for whatever reason, the fog can set in. Maybe it's just fog of our own mind and our own thinking. Maybe it's just somehow we, we've not had the time to hear the fullness of what God wants to bring us into. And so there's missing essentials. There's, there can be missing essentials, and we can live defeated lives simply because we've not got the fullness of what God wants to give to us. 
In medicine, there's a condition that, especially in pediatrics, uh, that is called a failure to thrive. Tracy, you're probably familiar with that. A failure to thrive. Failure to thrive is kind of a, a junk drawer term that really can categorize any uh, lack of health, any lack of growth, any lack of vitality and energy and, and maturity in a baby. It, they call it a failure to thrive simply because there's some missing essential. They have life, they're alive, but they're not thriving. There's many Christians today across the world that they've put their faith in Jesus. They, they have the hope of eternity with Jesus, but they're not experiencing life to the full because they have not received the fullness of the gospel. They, they have a failure to thrive. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, by now or by this time, you ought to be teachers, but now you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, you should be an adult. You should be teaching other people. But he says, you're still needing to go back to the basics, the essentials, the first principles because you're lacking essentials. And the same can be true for every single one of us, that we can receive the truth, but perhaps we don't receive the fullness of the gospel, and a deficient gospel will always produce defective disciples. Let me say that again. If there's not a fullness of the gospel that is brought, if there is a part truth of the word of God and what he wants to do in our lives, it's not just optional add-ons. A deficient gospel will always produce defective disciples. If you look around the world today, there's many people that name the name of Jesus. They put their hope in Jesus. They, they say they love Jesus, but there is no life. There's no abundant life. There's no flourishing life. There's no thriving life. Why? Because there's a, a, they, they've missed the essentials. And so today and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the essentials of faith that will cause us to thrive in life. Not life just getting by, but life and life to the full. How many of you want that kind of life? Amen? Amen. And so today I want to talk to you about these essentials that, that, that I would just pair together as believing and baptizing. Believing and baptizing. When Paul shows up to these disciples in Ephesus that, that Apollos had preached the gospel to and they had responded Paul kind of showed up like a doctor and uh, giving a little analysis. He was taking a, an inventory of their health, and he asked them two questions that really help us to understand some of the essentials of the gospel. The first thing he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? And then they said, well, we've not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So he says, so what did you get baptized into? Let me, let me say it this way. The first was just the basic, seeing as you are alive, you have obviously believed. Since you've believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not heard there was a Holy Spirit, so what were you baptized into? 
And the reality is for every single follower of Jesus, Paul is revealing to us two essential experiences to experiencing a thriving spiritual life. Believing and be baptized. Believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus, but not just faith in Jesus alone, that that also is manifest in baptism. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, what does it look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He would say, you've believed and now you've been baptized. So what does it mean to be baptized? I know there's probably a breadth of experience, breadth of understanding across this room today. So, so I just want to kind of lay out some understanding from the scriptures about baptism. The word baptism it comes from the Greek word baptizo. We can put that on the screen. Baptizo is the Greek word. Can everybody say baptizo? baptizo. You, you, you feel so smart saying it, don't you? Baptizo. The word baptizo, some of you are like, I'm going to say it again. So just feel a little extra smart. The word baptizo uh, literally means to be submerged, to immerse, to go under, to dunk for washing. It's actually, originally, it's not a spiritual word. It's just an everyday word. It's what you do to your laundry. You baptizo your laundry. It's what you do when you, when you go to uh, the swimming pool or you go to the river. You baptizo. You, you're submerged. You immerse. You dunk under. The Bible gives us, even in this passage, really uh, three examples, biblical examples of baptism. The first is what Paul here calls the baptism of John. The baptism of John, he says, was a baptism of repentance. That's what John was doing when Jesus came to him at the Jordan River. He was baptizing people, repenting of their sins, basically recommitting to the old covenant. So when Jesus shows up, he's baptized and ultimately, he gives his life and he rises from the dead. He institutes a new baptism, a new baptism. In Matthew 28, 19, he says to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that was the new baptism or Jesus' baptism or what some might call a believer's baptism. That when you put your faith in Jesus, John's baptism was of repentance. But when Jesus rose from the dead, that baptism was like an expired coupon. It was once good, but now it's no longer good. So now it's no longer just repentance and recommitment to the old covenant. Now it's a covenant of faith. So you are baptized now into the life of Jesus and into the kingdom of God. That's why Paul rebaptized them, the scripture says. The first baptism was the baptism of John. The second baptism was Jesus' baptism. It was a baptism of faith. And then the third baptism, which we won't get into too much today, says that when he laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit which is what the scripture in other places calls being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But today I want to focus on that believer's baptism or that baptism of faith because the Apostle Paul here, I believe, would tell us that if we want to thrive and experience life and life to the full, that we must believe and be baptized. 
It's not the baptism that saves us. It's the faith that saves us. But that saving faith will manifest in baptism. That baptism and believing go hand in hand. Now, again, across this room today, I know there's a breadth of experience, perhaps a breadth of perspectives on that. And so I want to talk today, and I know some of you maybe have been baptized, maybe some of you were baptized years ago, maybe some of you have not been baptized, but I want to talk about baptism, water baptism, for a few minutes. And I'm going to share with you some reasons why you should be baptized, but first of all, I want to talk about some reasons why people are often not baptized, why people who say they believe in Jesus or followers of Jesus perhaps just haven't been baptized. And I believe there's a number of reasons. The first one that I want you to see is simply ignorance. Ignorance. We can put these up on the screen. Uh, Ignorance would basically say this, what is baptism? What is baptism? That, That would be, you know, somebody that perhaps they have taken a shower before, but it's like, why do I need to be baptized? And, you know, the reality is that Even within our church, to be honest, I feel like we have not emphasized the importance of water baptism in the way that we should. Uh, To be honest, some of that is just the practicality of we're in a portable church. We don't always have a a tank of water to dunk somebody in. Sometimes it's the logistics of, uh, you know, do we go to the lake across the street? Um, Whose house can we go to with a pool? And so some of us perhaps have been ignorant on baptism. What is baptism? And we've not emphasized that, I believe, in the way that we should. And that's why I'm speaking on it today. So my hope is that by the time you leave today, uh, the ignorance problem would be solved, okay? Now, the first problem why people may not be baptized might just be ignorance. They don't know what it is. Uh, the second reason, and this is, is very common, the second reason is what I would call tradition, Tradition, if ignorance says, what is baptism? Tradition says, well, I've already been baptized. I was baptized as a kid. I was baptized, you know, my parents had me baptized when I was a baby or, you know, that's just kind of what we do. And if you ask that person, well, what did that mean for you? They would say, I don't even remember. And so, but, but the fact is that many people are baptized simply out of tradition, I shared with you last week uh, about the fact that there's only one kingdom, excuse me, there's only one kingdom, there is many tribes or multiple tribes and many families in the kingdom of God. And and this is something that different tribes within the kingdom of God do differently. And, And I would say this, that we're not talking about this to criticize what anybody else would do, but we always want to look back at what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I told you last week, I used the example of the the mom that cut the end off the roast. How many of you remember that? And her daughter said, mom, why do you always cut the ends off the roast? And she just says, well, that's what we've always done. She didn't know the reason her mom cut the ends off the roast is because she didn't have a pan big enough for the roast. (laughs) So she just keeps doing what her mom does never really knowing the why behind the what. 
And the same is true oftentimes when it comes to our spiritual life, that sometimes we just go through the motions, we just do what we do because that's what our parents did, and we never stop to think about why do we do it. And so really, the, in addition to the biblical baptisms, the, there is also what I would call alternate baptisms or alternative baptisms, other ways that people practice baptism. And I, I'm going to talk about those for just a, a moment, just so that we can have an understanding of those in order to move from where we're at to where God wants us. One of those alternative baptisms is what is often called infant baptism. Infant baptism. There's many denominations that practice infant baptism. Uh, Catholics would, would uh, practice infant baptism, maybe Lutherans, Presbyterians, a number of wonderful groups within the body of Christ, many of whom love Jesus tremendously, and they would be our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we love every, uh, every expression of the church, every expression that, that points people to Jesus. But, but we need to look back at the word of God. And so infant baptism is the practice of parents bringing their children to be baptized as infants. And I would say this, that, that I admire the desire of parents to, to pass on their faith to their children. I believe that's something that every parent should strive to do, that we should pass on to our children our love for God, our passion for God, that that should be something that we do. But infant baptism really has no basis in the Bible. Now, some people would say Acts 16.33 is the, is the basis for infant baptism. That's when the Philippian jailer comes to Christ, and the Bible says that he and his whole family were baptized, what they neglect is the fact that that follows right after the, that they were all commanded to believe in Jesus. So the operative word is not just baptism. The operative word is believe. So they all believed and they were baptized. So to think that they were just baptizing the whole family regardless of belief really ignores the whole context of the scripture. Not only that, but it, at that time, in that passage, the Bible also uses the word household to talk about those who came to Christ. He and his whole household came to Christ. That household includes employees. It would include, at that time, servants. It would include anybody that lived under that house. And so if you were going to use that as a basis for infant baptism, you also should use that as a basis for employee baptism. Okay, when I come to Christ, all of, I'm going to, if you're going to work for me, you've got to get baptized because we believe in everyone getting baptized. That, that's not the emphasis of the verse. And again, I appreciate the intention of parents to pass on faith to their children, but the fact is that faith is not, although it, it, it should be passed on to our children, ultimately faith is not parental. It, it's not just parental what makes me a follower of Jesus is not that my parents are followers of Jesus. It's that I have made a decision to follow Jesus. And so uh, every single person needs to make the decision. I've decided 
to follow Jesus. And again, some of those denominations, and I'm not saying this to criticize If you've been here at one church for any period of time, you know that our modus operandi is not point fingers because we think we have it all together. That is not the case at all. Uh, We love other churches, but we do want to look back at what does the Bible say? And so those who would practice infant baptism, oftentimes they would say, well, this is a replacement for uh, circumcision, Under the old covenant, it was circumcision. Under the new covenant, they would say it's infant baptism, which would mean that only you should have your male children baptized, right? Because it was only the males that were circumcised. And again, isn't the whole emphasis of the the new covenant the fact that the old covenant circumcision is inadequate? The whole emphasis is circumcision never worked. It's got to be faith that manifests from the inside out. And so the result is, oftentimes, out of that parental baptism, and again, if you have been baptized in that method, or perhaps your children were baptized, I'm not pointing fingers uh, at any of that. I'm simply wanting to look at what the Bible says. But the result is, oftentimes, that you have people that have no relationship with Jesus, no heart after Jesus, but they think, well, I was baptized when I was a kid, so I'm good. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm good, <laughs> right? Or I'm Irish, or I'm American, or fill in, the, fill in the, the gap. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying some of this is becomes culture rather than a personal faith in Jesus, the outcome becomes you can be a mafia boss and it's okay as long as you put your as long as you were baptized as a baby. Right? You know what I'm saying? Or you use whatever illustration. My point is the Bible, if we if we believe in the Word of God, we have to be honest that the Bible gives no allusion to, commandment to, illustration of infant baptism. Also, sprinkling is another. Uh, alternative baptism. Again, I know if you're here as the first time today, you may think, uh, man, this guy thinks he knows everything. Come back next week. I really don't know that much. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. But some, sometimes people say, well, I was sprinkled. And I would say, uh, cool, that's, that's good. Um, your hair probably looked better after. But Again, the Bible doesn't say anything about sprinkling. The, the, the word baptism means to submerge, to go under the water. In fact, sprinkling as a form of baptism was not even used until 1311. The Council of Ravenna permitted uh, sprinkling as an acceptable form of baptism when there wasn't any water to use. So there was no water, or maybe somebody was sick in bed, so they couldn't get them to the water. So they're like, that's all right. You can't get in the water. We're just going to sprinkle you. Just throw it on you, right? Now, again, people take that exception and make that the doctrine rather than going back to what does the Bible say? And here, Paul is emphasizing the importance of believing and being baptized, The scripture tells us of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 that he was riding down the street. He saw a body of water. He says, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the scripture says that he and Philip went into the water. And when they came up out of the water, Philip was caught away. 
And so they go into the water, they come out of the water. That's the biblical pattern that we see for baptism. So number one, people are often not baptized because of ignorance. People are often not baptized just because of their family tradition. Or number three, people are often not baptized, number three, because of pride. And and, and pride says this, what will people think about me? Maybe that's, I've been in this church for so long. I've, I've been a Christian for so long. What will people think about me if I get baptized? They'll think you're a lot like Jesus if you get baptized, when you get baptized. Or or maybe it's a little less spiritual. Maybe it's just a little something like this. Uh, I don't want to get baptized because I don't want everybody to see me wet. I don't want them to see my hair wet, to which I would say I cannot relate to that, okay? (laughs) But that thought of I don't want to, I don't want to, Everybody to see me wet. You know, I just say, I can understand that. Um, it, I, this may come as a surprise to you, but I've never won any Mr. Universe competitions, okay? But here's, here's the reality is that when you get baptized, nobody's going to be looking at you saying, I've always wondered, what did they look like wet? <laughs> They're going to be cheering you on. They're going to be celebrating... What a, what a beautiful expression of faith. And so many people oftentimes aren't baptized just out of pride. And then the last thing I want you to see of reasons why people often aren't baptized, number four is this. It's probably the, the, the most dangerous of all of these, and it's just simply disobedience. It's simply disobedience. And the reality is that there are some people that would say, well, I'm a Christian, I go to church, or um, I'm a good person, and they hear the commands of Jesus to be baptized and to baptize others, making disciples, but they would just say, well, I don't, I don't really care. I don't have to do that. And, and here's the reality, that baptism does not save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. That's why we see the thief on the cross. So he's breathing his last breath. Jesus didn't say, well, you're going to have to get down off that cross and we're going to have to do baptism. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise because it's faith that saves you. But here's the sobering reality is if you have declared that you are a follower of Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, but you just, and today you hear or you have heard the commands of Jesus to be baptized, but you just say, I don't want to be baptized. I'm not going to be baptized. Again, you're not saved because of baptism, but if you just refuse to be baptized, at some point you have to ask yourself the question, am I really saved? Have I really put my faith in Jesus? Again, I'm not here to be a salvation inspector today. I'm not here to criticize you, but, but I do, like a, like a doctor in a patient conversation, I believe it's a, a valid question for every single one of us. Like Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when you believed in? What was your baptism all about? Why? Because for those who have put their faith in Jesus, baptism is an act of obedience to Jesus. Again and again, we see the pattern throughout the New Testament 
of putting our faith in Jesus and immediately being baptized in water and ultimately being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern of New Testament Jesus-following life. You put your faith in Jesus. You confess your sins, leave your sins, turn to Jesus. You are baptized in water as an act of obedience to him, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Different denominations will debate on the order of when those happen. Here's my point today. They all need to happen. These are the essentials of following Jesus. That's why on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they preached the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. That's why in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, when Philip preaches the gospel and they receive it, he immediately baptizes them. That's why the Ethiopian eunuch, when he came to faith, believing Jesus is the Lord, he said, there's some water, let's get baptized. Again and again, we see the pattern of New Testament life. When God changes your heart, you get baptized. And so I want to talk about three reasons why you should be baptized. I've talked about why maybe you haven't been baptized, but I want to give you three reasons why every follower of Jesus should be baptized. Are you ready for those? All right, so number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be baptized because baptism is a step. It is a step, a step of obedience. Again, I I told you our salvation is not through our works. It's by grace through faith. But as the reformer Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. If you put your faith in Jesus, there will be some demonstrations of that. And water baptism is the first step in following Jesus. It's the first act of obedience. As I mentioned already, what is the act? Biblically, I would say that the act is to be baptized, submerged underwater uh, by another believer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is important because baptism is a step. It's an action. Have you ever met anybody that they just seem to know everything, but they've done nothing? Have you ever met somebody like that, that they, they watch football and they know everything that the coach should be telling that team to do? Anybody know somebody like that? If you're by them, just look straight ahead right now. They're an expert on how to win a Super Bowl. They're an expert on how to win a title. They're an expert on how to do everything. The problem is they know everything, but they've done nothing. And we can be the same when it comes to following Jesus. But the reality is, as important as it is to receive the word of God, the word of God will always produce a godly life. It will always manifest in obedience. The reality is, whether you've been serving God for five minutes or 50 years, there's still a next step of obedience in your life. There's still a next step of action to take as as a follower of Jesus. But the reality is, biblically, that first step is repent and be baptized. 
And so baptism is, number one, a step, an act of obedience. Number two, baptism is a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign of identity that I am a follower of Jesus. Now let me say this, it's not the substance It's not what makes you a follower of Jesus. It's a demonstration of the faith in your heart that makes you a follower of Jesus. On the fourth finger of my left hand, I have a wedding ring. Y'all didn't sound very excited about that. (laughs) I remember 15 years ago, my wife and I stood at an altar in a church and I remember my dad was performing the wedding ceremony and I kept saying, are we married yet? Are we, is this, is, are we, we married? Have we done the deal yet? And you no, know, cool your jets, you're not married yet. But I remember one of the parts of that ceremony was he called for the rings and he, we exchanged rings and I, I gave a ring to Jennifer. Now I was 22 years old. I was in college at the time. But how many of you know, I worked my little rear end off to get the very best ring that I could. You know what I'm saying? Not because that was what made us married, but I wanted her to have a sign of the love that I had for her. I I wanted to do everything I could that any guy that walked by and thought for a moment that they could scope her out, I I wanted to make it very clear with a sign that she's not available. Now, again, that's an illustration. The ring is not what makes us married. If I take this ring off, I think I can take this ring off, 15 years and a few pounds, That doesn't make make me unmarried. I'm still married. But how many of you know, if I walked around all the time and I never wanted to wear a ring, and I never wanted to have a demonstration, (laughs) and I said, well, baby, don't you know I love you? I don't, why do we have to tell other people? Let me put that back on. (laughs) How, How would that go at the Johnson house? It would not go well at the Johnson house. Why? Because out of the commitment that we have for each other, it's not just, I love you, don't tell anybody. It's, I love you, update my status, shout it from the rooftop. I want everybody to know I'm married to her. And that's the same when you become a follower of Jesus. Baptism isn't the substance of our faith. It's a sign of our faith. It's like the mirror test that goes under your nose. That's not going to make you breathe, but it will show, is there some life? Is there some breath? And so every follower of Jesus needs to demonstrate their faith in Jesus through baptism. So number one, baptism is a step Number two, baptism is a sign. And number three, baptism is a start. Baptism is a start. It's the start of the renewal that God brings in our lives. Has anybody experienced a change in their life since coming to Jesus? 
Has anybody experienced that there's something, not that you did, but something that was done to you when you came to Jesus or when Jesus came into your life? Some of you, even the fact that you're here today in church on a Sunday morning shows something's happened to you. There's a transformation. You're not who you used to be. I'm glad to tell you today, if you came in here, as Nate already said, maybe you feel like you're at rock bottom. Maybe you feel like you don't even know how to get out from where you're at. Let me tell you, rock bottom is the very place where God does his best work. Because God's not looking to just give you a better life and make your life better. He wants to give you a new life. Galatians 3.27 says it this way, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You put on Christ. You know that feeling when maybe you've been working hard, you've been working out in the yard and you're just dirty or maybe you go camping and you're out for a while and you just feel like, man, I just want that shower. I just want, I just got to get that water onto me. And you just get out and you feel like I'm a new person. That's what happens when you go into the water and when you come out of the water, it's the symbol of that transforming work that Jesus does through the Holy Spirit when he breaks into your life. That's why the Bible says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. And the new has come. And so when you are baptized in water, it is a sign. You're going under the water. And you're leaving that old identity. It's a sign of leaving that old identity, identifying with the death of Jesus. And you've been raised to life, new life in Jesus. Regardless of what you used to be. Regardless of what your family says that you are, your ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriends, ex-employers, ex-anybody, regardless of what they say you are when you put your faith in Jesus, you're a new creation. Baptism is a, it's a, a start. It's entering in to that new life. You see, baptism is always entering into something new. Baptism is always not just about a moment, it's about entering into a, a new life, a, a, a new reality. That's why Jesus, when he was baptized, he had always been God. He, he was always Christ, fully God, incarnate. But something happened when he came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the Father spoke over him, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that day forward, everything changed in the life of Jesus. Why? Because baptism isn't just about what you're coming out of. It's about what you're going into. It's a start, a new place, a new life, life in Christ, life in the kingdom of God. We said it already, God wants you to go to heaven, but right now he wants heaven in you. He wants his life in you. He wants you to experience the kingdom of God as, in as much as you possibly can here and now, life in God's kingdom. Has anybody ever gone to a country and 
you've just gone to the airport. Anybody ever been somewhere like that? Maybe you stopped in Amsterdam or a hub like that. Maybe you flew through Dubai or some sort of hub, and you've kind of been there, but you've just been to the airport. <laughs> I mean, you put it on your list of places, and, and when, they, you, when they start talking about it, you're like, yeah, oh, man, it's wonderful. They've got this really cool, like, seating section, waiting area there. That's an amazing city. And you've been there, but you've not experienced it. If you remember a few years ago, there was a movie called Terminal. It was actually based on a true story, and the actor Tom Hanks played this man who for 15 years lived in the airport. At Charles de Gaulle Airport for 15 years, he wasn't a resident of his old country. He couldn't go back to where he used to be, but he wasn't permitted. He didn't have the stamps and the approval to enter into the new place where he was wanting to be. And so he lived in limbo for 15 years. And the reality is many people live their spiritual lives in limbo. They've believed in Jesus. They'll go to heaven when they die. They're kind of like in the kingdom of God, but they're like in the airport of the kingdom of God. They're there. They're looking through. I think I see a little bit. I, I think I, I, I'm real close to it. But they've not been stamped. They've not cleared customs. They've not got the, the mark of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is clearing customs into the kingdom of God. You're authenticated as a follower of Jesus. And the stamp of the Holy Spirit that validates you as having access to the kingdom of God. Well, church, I hope that word is an encouragement to you. And uh, whether you have been water baptized or not, I believe that's God's will for every one of us that we would believe and be baptized. And maybe you've never taken that step. I want to encourage you to join us this evening, this afternoon at 4 p.m. We're going to be giving people the opportunity to take the step to, to give that sign, a public demonstration of their saving faith in Jesus. Or maybe you have been water baptized and you just need that refresher, that reminder of the commitment that you have made as a follower of Jesus and the significance of that. I hope you'll join us this evening. We're going to celebrate the incredible transformation and the gift of life that we all have through Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us today, church. We can't wait to be together next Sunday and this evening for our baptism party. We can't wait to see you then.